This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. I'm here with my friend, Nadia Butt an organizational development and belonging strategist, Nadia. Hi. Tell me. What? How are you? You know what I'm doing? I'm doing okay. It's been a um it's been a little hectic week, I feel like. Yeah? What? Well, yeah. <laughs> what? You it's mean the like the start of the week? Of the week? <laughs> yeah. Already? Yeah. Mondays are just so crazy, I feel so like. So, we come out of President's Day, and so the thing that I was thinking about was like, uh, do you have a, do you have a favorite president? Oh, I did. <laughs> I did. And his name was Obama. And then I decided that he's not. So yeah. I don't have one right now. Decided that he's not. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, it's a curious, it's a curious holiday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it get... is. It really is. Like the, <laughs> like the meaning behind it and so forth. Like, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. There is a suggestion you... that we should make the NFL season longer and then uh, one week longer, have the Super Bowl, and then everyone gets President's Day off and, you know, get all the, right? Everyone gets a chance yeah. to recover. What do you think? Do people get President's Day off? Is that like a holiday that... For sure, kids do, right? Like... Kids do. It's like the beginning of public school. I think it's the beginning of like spring break, uh, winter break, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, in some places, but yeah, no, I think people, people yeah. get presents. So, so what you're saying is you're not, you're not having a big like celebration, people over the house. No. You know, let's uh, wear like an no, Abraham top hat and walk around. No, nothing. No, definitely not that. Why? Do you do that? <laughs> I just wonder if anyone does. Does anyone do this? I don't does anyone... think any, I don't know anyone who actually like observes President's it's Day. It's a skiing and holiday, I right? I think we're going to ask our listeners if you actually <laughs> do something on President's Day to observe yes. it, please email us There's and let no us know what it is. That. There's no Well, we'll find skiing. out. Everyone go skiing. Please let us know. Everyone <laughs> go right. skiing. All right, Nadia, what do we got this week? Well, this week on Inclusive Collective, we'll be talking to Dr. Fadia Nortvit. We'll discuss Wisconsin's new constitutional amendment banning DEI, Disney's character unionization. We'll also be raving about Princeton's president's defense of diversity, and we'll rant about a rideshare Valentine's Day strike. But first, let's get to the deep. Rob, you're up. Uh, let's talk about Wisconsin, one of my favorite states, the Dairy State. The Dairy Have State. Have you been to Wisconsin? I've been here a couple times. I used to work in Wisconsin. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. 
great place. Yeah. Their, their legislature's a little Looney Tunes, though, right? We're going to talk yeah. about Disney. <laughs> Just a little right? bit. But the, Repu- the, the uh, Republican-led legislature there passed a constitutional amendment. <laughs> They're very serious. Uh, mm. Banning DEI, the measure has, of course, no chance of becoming law because the governor is a Democrat, Tony Evers. Yeah. He won't sign it. With that, it's, so it's more of a... Uh, you know, they're they're, they're a making statement. a big show of it. <laughs> One of the things that was curious that I did want to talk about the notion of what they want to replace DEI with. And something I heard last year at this crackpot HR conference that I went to here in Utah. Oh, okay. uh, they're, they're talking about merit, fairness, and equality, right? This uh-huh. is their counter movement. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about this later the idea that merit is the antithesis of diversity, right? That is yeah, the, right. and, you know, what, uh, diversity does is lower quality, right? So, and the merit, you know, they even say explicitly that merit may create less diversity and that's okay, right? They're very, they're very upfront about it. Okay. I, I just want to get your thoughts on, on merit, fairness, and equality as a counter movement. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, yeah. I mean, so here, here, here's the thing. When you sent this article, I was like, okay, this is just another state <laughs> trying to like make moves here. Um, and what I found interesting, so like this proposal really talked about particularly like the universities and local school districts, mm-hmm. right, from discriminating against or granting preferen- preferential treatment to anybody on the basis of race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin. And then it went on to say that it requires hiring decisions to be based on merit, fairness, and equality, a term conservatives have used as a counter to DEI. I mean, what's funny is that no one is arguing that. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? So, like, let me back up here. So, like, what instead what you'll find people challenging you is, like, when you're actually hiring people, you should be hiring from a a wider pool of candidates, right? Typically, you're not. And so I think that's where, like, the hiccup is and people um, just don't have really a true understanding or they do and they just want to, like, create noise, um, but I did do a little investigative journalism and I, oh. you know, that's because that's just what I do on my, <laughs> wow. on my downtime. Uh, I went down a rabbit hole and according to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, so the EEOS, as of 2023, a federal, this federal agency that investigates in particular workplace discrimination receives on average over 80,000 complaints per, per year. Mm-hmm. Just in the state of Wisconsin, that's almost a thousand per year. And that was based off of 2023. So yeah, it's a problem when you aren't hiring people with fair and equitable discriminative practices. And anyone who denies that is super lame. And honestly, (laughs) I'm just over this conversation, but yeah, go ahead, Rob. Well, I think it's dangerous in terms of like, in terms of setting it up as right. Like it's, as an either or, right? So like all these notions, even, even you know, merit, fairness, and equality versus uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, like to all to some degree have, uh, are based in things that we all value, right? Like sure. in some yeah. way, into some degree, into, into, and, and the issue is they're defining these terms on their own terms, right? Like they're, they're, they're yeah. saying, this is how, what it means in employment. This is what it means in education. So it's just, it's just a dangerous and it, it just, you know, and, and the intention is to muddy the waters so mm-hmm. that, right, like people just kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, I don't know what is what is right, what is the best thing. Right. Um, so it's just so, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. And I and you think about EEOC complaints, it's really, you know, 
you know, by some estimates, only about 1% of people file complaints for things like yes. either harassment or discrimination. Right. And They're so, not even and, captured fully. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's, so it's, yeah. So I think, thanks for, uh, for doing that, uh, that deep yeah. dive as well. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, I, I do think that we'll see a lot more of this. I think term is something that you're going to start to see in talking points. And yeah, I think that right. you have to be ready to counter it with, with actual evidence. Yeah, I would agree with that, Rob. And honestly, I'm reminded of our conversation a few weeks ago that we had with um, Christian Heyman, right, of of um, Ali Heyman. And they he specifically pointed out that, like, Rob, you might be the best candidate for a job, but the fact that we haven't opened up the pool to someone like me or Farhad, like he was giving painting this picture and saying that you may have the capabilities and skill sets for the job, but are we actually widening up our our pool of people to find the 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 right candidate to add to our group and build those diverse workforces. Right. Um, and so I think I think you're right. We're going to have to continue to define and clarify and explain because unfortunately those that are are really trying to p- paint this like broad picture or broad stroke around what um, you know these terms of merit and, and qual and equity and fairness are are painting it in a way that really builds resentment from someone who <laughs> might be considered someone who has a, you know, a, a diverse skill set or diverse thought or background. And um, then that continues to perpetuate that there's a norm. And the norm is this white, able-bodied, typically male, cisgendered, right? Like all of these things that um, are the quote-unquote norm, which aren't. So like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm really over it. <laughs> so over the like conservative push on this but yeah, yeah thanks yeah. for that article well let's talk about yeah let's let's talk about uh let's talk about disney what do you got for us cartoon characters great Yay. segue Yay. <laughs> so according to a recent Reuters article performers of cartoon characters um so characters like our mickey donald goofy right um at disneyland theme park are looking to join actors equity association a labor union representing those who work in live theatrical performance. Um, Disney will be required under federal law to sit down with equities representatives at the bargaining table and negotiate a contract following a vote in favor to unionize. Um, The union is seeking to represent the 1,700 Disneyland employees in the characters and parades departments at the park. Any reactions, Rob? Well, you know, I think it's great, right? Like I have to, t- I, I do have to tell you, Nadia. Like I know Goofy. I've seen him try to keep it together, <laughs> even on the simplest tasks, and he's an absolute disaster. Actually, eaten at Goofy's yeah. restaurant in California. Have you been to? Oh, any of the I've D- never D- been to Disney? Disneyland. I've only been to Disney World. Not great. Not she- no. Go- Chef Goofy. <laughs> Not great. No. Not great, really? uh, oh, but okay. you know. So, like, doesn't cook well, or what's the deal? I, I mean, if you just seen him, he's just a, he's he's kind of a cut, right? Yeah, okay. he's just kind of yeah. a mess, right? So, Goofy. let's keep him away from the negotiating table. As you were saying that, I was actually envisioning like Disney characters at a negotiating table with like you know Bob Iger of Disney or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I've been doing That's a deep hilarious. dive as well on anti-discrimination oh, regulation, investigative journalism, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it that, but. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the interesting things is that the drop in enforcement of those employment regulation, uh, the enforcement coincides very nicely with a drop in union representation in the 1980s, right? So union representation, you know, as a percentage of workforce continues to decline. 
Um, so, you know, I think all unions are a good thing. You know, I just don't think they matter at scale, right? Like, I don't think you can turn back 30 years of declining real wages and massive income inequality. Uh, so it's not really a solution for larger societal problems, but I think it's great in this case. And, you know, we'll see if, uh, if, if it matters for these folks. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, when I think of, I, when I think of like unions in general, like I think most of them are just seeking like for the most part, just a fairness and equity, um, particularly like equity and compass compensation. And I think of Disneyland, like the cost of living in California is like wildly outrageous. Right. So again, these, these folks are really just seeking a livable wage. And I, I don't think that's an unfair request. So, um, yeah, that that's uh that's my story for this week. All right, go Mickey, go Minnie, and that's right. be careful with Goofy. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for the deeds. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Dr. Fadja Nordfit. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. This week on Inclusive Collective, we welcome Dr. Fadia Nordvit. Dr. Fadia is Assistant Professor of Communications at Springfield College and holds a part-time faculty research and consultant position at NYU. She's the co-editor of an academic special issue journal on diversity, equity, inclusion, and collaboration with the University of Milan. Dr. Fadia is founder of Collaboratively, a company that provides research talks, workshops, and trainings. She's written several books, and her work has been focused in places like Financial Times and Boston Globe, just to name a few. Dr. Fadia's research areas are DE&I, and she has created a system of organizational inclusion called the Inclusive Business Model Canvas, IBMC, which I'm excited to talk about, that aids in building an inclusive foundational structure. Welcome, Dr. Fadia. We are so grateful and thankful that you are um, able to join us to speak on Inclusive Collective. Well, thank you so much, Nadia and Rob, for having me on your show. I can't wait to talk more about IBMC and everything else you want to know more about. Well, we want to know about it all. So we'll get started <laughs> there. Dr. Fadi, it's a pleasure to, to meet you. Thanks again for being with us. So uh, listening to Nadia, do the intro, you teach, you do research, you're active in sustainability, right? So how do all these things fit together uh, and, and how does it all inform the work that, you, that you're doing today? So I think um, as far as I'm concerned, all of the hats play a very big role in putting the thread of sustainability and DEIB together, mm. diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, my teaching and my research are heavily connected to the consulting work that I do and the authorship and the productions that I do, because if I don't do research, then you can't really go out and do consulting. According to me, those are connected mm -hmm. in, and how do you build expertise? And I have the privilege of teaching students of all levels, undergraduate and graduate, um, on um, things that I love and, are, and that I'm passionate about. So it's all fitting together really well and informing one another. I love that. <clears throat> Tell us a little bit about your background in terms of what excited you to get into, into this field um, of not just DEIB, but also sustainability. So um, that will probably be a much longer and interesting answer, some positive and some negative, as all stories. Um, I would say the sustainability journey was something that was in me from when I was a child. I grew up um, in a family, in a household where there was a lot of caring and information and uh, just generally a lot of um, attention paid to issues of environment, sustainability, natural health, well-being. Uh, organic farming, all of that. And as a result of it, I think I grew a 
and appreciation and respect for nature and environment. And sort of, I understood the value of the connection uh, between humans and non-humans and the environment that we live in. So that was sort of the segue into sort of the running theme of sustainability in my life. As I continued in my sustainability journey in my formal schooling, like in my graduate school for my master's and then into my PhD into different areas of sustainability, and I wrote my book, uh, my second book uh, called Participatory Networks and the Environment out of Rutledge, Taylor and Francis. Um, And then I also ran a nonprofit related to what I wrote about in the book called The Be Green Project, um, all of which was about sustainability and the environment. I realized that uh, you can't really solve sustainability problems without actually looking at the core issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm-hmm. If and if if you haven't been living under a rock, I'm not being condescending here. You, sh- everyone should know this by now that climate change and environment sustainability issues cannot be solved the same way for every community around the world. Mm-hmm. The way it impacts a white male in a privileged. A neighborhood in an urban city uh, is very different from the way that, a, say, a woman of color from a rural community in the global south experiences the same issue of climate change. Right. So really, if you look at the crux, crux of um, uh, and the focus that we need to put on solving sustainability and climate challenges, we really need to understand um, the way in which structural DEIB works out. And um, therefore, that was the aha moment. It, uh, I realized that while I'm always going to be interested in the environment, sustainability, wellness, all of that, um, really what I care about the most underneath it all is finding structural uh, shifts and changes I could make to uh, DEIB challenges in the world, because that is at the core, according to me, of solving um, sustainability problems. Yeah. I, as you were, we were talking about Wisconsin earlier, you are talking about people living Potentially under rocks, uh, and, and they're and they're certainly not all yes. living under rocks in the state of Wisconsin. But I just I was just thinking about, you know, they they've passed a constitutional amendment saying that you know we can't actually teach uh, DEI, right? Obviously, in a lot of places that have severe environmental challenges, they're working very hard to ignore some of the principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging. And so, so how do you how do you lift that rock for for folks and connect? the two in places like Wisconsin? Uh, uh, I wish that uh, this type of thought and thinking was just limited to Wisconsin. Uh, I understand (laughs) that um, we, uh, well, I'm based in Western Massachusetts in the Northeast. And quite unfortunately, the figurative rock exists in uh, the Northeast as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people just talk about it and uh, make uh, state uh, state, uh, laws and try to pass laws about it. Mm-hmm. And some states are trying to do it behind the scenes and or they have attitudes about it that really emerge in classrooms. And I feel professors uh, feel that strongly because you're interfacing with people in a very uh, active way uh, from very different backgrounds in classrooms. And I have ma- met climate deniers in classrooms in Massachusetts. Sure. And this is Massachusetts. Like we, we are talking about one of the most progressive states that you can think of in the United States. However, to answer, I'm a very solution-based person. So uh, it's never easy, but what I like to do is go back to my um, understanding of how important it is for us as a community to understand what is good data. And I often, in in my classroom, uh, like to practice the 
like to practice the process of letting my students actively know what is good and scientific data and how do we actually work with data that is not laced with uh, subjective realities that our families and friends and our neighborhoods have come up with just because we grew up with a certain religion or culture or whatever. Mm. So I think uh, I actively try to work with lifting that issue in my uh, you know, ecosystem, whether it's in my classrooms, in my consulting, in my workshops, whatever I do, uh, through uh, going back to the point of let's look at data. Let's look at what, what is good data, what is not good data, what defines good data, and try to make people understand that this is not about us being left or right, a Republican or Democrat. It's about how do we make our way through what we consider good data, how is that created, and what is good data telling us about all of these issues? Yeah. Dr. Fadi, you're speaking Rob's love language right now <laughs> with the data. Yeah. The data piece. It's so important. And the subjectivity within data. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so just to segue, you had created the inclusive business model canvas. Uh, and I, I personally just, you know, love the model and, and kind of um, what it holds. Curious, like how how can this model be served in in particular in organizations, businesses, um, if you think about industry and how to kind of practice that? I love this question because there's so many ways to answer it, but I'm going to try and today pick on two or three things to focus on. Uh, so first of all, um, I'm a woman of color. I came up with a model on inclusion, uh, which is structural, uh, and I wanted to create something that is inherently logical, that is devoid of emotions. I understand there are strengths and weaknesses to that because I, uh, I do respect research that is done on affect and emotions because I think it's very important to do work on that. But um, throughout my life, because of my uh, visible identities, I have been always boxed in things that I don't care to understand why I'm boxed in them. Mm -hmm. and, um, and therefore, what I have decided to do, what I decided to do was, hey, racism, uh, discrimination, bigotry are all supercharged, emotional, irrational things. So uh, how do I build a model that addresses very common sense type of way? And um, it was, it's really important for me to build something that looked at the structures of different departments across organizations. Every organization has multiple departments. Right. So often, if you're big enough, you have multiple departments. You have branding, you have finance, you have uh, you have the human resources, whatever it is, whatever sure. it is that you have going on. And um, I wanted to build a model that actually pays attention to the complexity of larger organizations and looks at the way in which, again, we can use data to solve these problems and empower people in different departments within organizations to use and collect data that can help them to build more inclusive systems within the very sometimes contradictory departments within a company or an organization. So my model was built to solve a couple of things. I wanted it to be structural because I didn't want it to be more of like a one-on-one -on -one thing where I sit down with you, Nadia, I train you and, uh, and then you're like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in a coaching session where I will learn how to be more anti-racist. And then we have eight sessions and then I leave. Yes. Instead, I wanted to coach you to um, see how your department or your organization can build systems in place uh, to address the issue of inclusion in a more structural way so that it's just beyond, it's more than just you changing in the process. It's 
people around you, and also there's capacity building around issues of inclusive change. The second thing is I uh, the emotional part, which is because I'm a woman, there's a lot of sort of, oh, uh, a lot of women do DEIB work because, you know, they're moved to it from an emotional place. Sure, I am moved to it from an emotional place because I'm a human being who feels that other human beings should, including me, should be treated well. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, again, it boils down to the best use of data. And I feel data can be used well for the benefit of others. And I, my method teaches people how that can happen. Dr. Fadi, just to follow up on that, it, and it sounds uh, amazing. I'm excited to dig in. Who is the, the method for? Does it require leadership, uh, you know, so like at the senior most levels to really take hold of your model and drive it and implement it? I think about some of the power dynamics at play in terms of cross-functional uh, execution, right? And getting people to talk to each other across uh, the organization and in, in terms of being able to have the right data in order to drive some of this. So is it is 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 the method something that can only be uh, advanced if you're if you have leadership uh, involvement? So um, that's a great question. Um, it's designed for managers, mid managers, leaders, and C suite uh, board folks, and as well yeah. as board members. Mm. The reason being uh, that, as we know, in larger organizations, the culture is often created from the top, and it if your CEO and managers and all of those folks who are in the power dynamic of cre creating the culture and uh, system that the company runs is on board with it, oftentimes we see a lot of changes. Um, it's not really working the same way in maybe grassroots movements because I feel this model could be taught to startup type. Uh, so I, when I do my trainings, I have done it on nonprofits. I've done them on startups. I've done them on uh, corporate audiences that are very different corporate identities like real estate versus luxury, like various different sort of uh, audiences. Mm -hmm. And same with nonprofit, I've done it in educational as well as uh, like nonprofit, like social change, uh, multinational sort of nonprofits type of thing, saving mm -hmm. the world, et cetera. And uh, yeah, so I feel the audience could be diverse, but really it's designed for leaders of mm -hmm. either mid-level to high-level leaders that can train departments because it's the best use of um, time and resources for a company for, say, the marketing director getting my training and then saying, all right, now I'm going to create and implement a plan, a five-year uh, strategic plan for my marketing department to see how this can be used to become more inclusive in the next five years. Right. So it's very good at goal setting. So the good part of the inclusive business model canvas is it's designed for three capacities. You can collect data. So you can actually use it to do research. Mm. You can use it to um, also scope out like your action plan going forward. And you can use it to do implementation as well of the plan. So it's designed for three, it's, uh, three different aspects of the three stages of collecting data, scoping out what should be good and uh, then actually implementing what you are coming up with as being your pathway forward. Wow. Love it. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Dr. Fadia, you, you are quite a busy person because in addition to being um, a professor and a researcher, um, you are uh, and, and a writer and, and kind of all these many kind of hats you hold. Uh, you were also the producer of a public access television show called Talking Out of Line that highlights um, DEIBNS, 
uh, trailblazers from diverse industries and you are um, starting your season two productions. Tell us more around like the mission and goals of this of this program. So the mission and goals of this program couldn't be more relevant in the election year because the season two is focused on uh, coming up with uh, six educational videos that I want to keep free and open access uh, to whoever wants to have good data-backed videos explaining what is diversity, what is equity, what is inclusion, what is belonging, what is intersectionality, and what is sustainability. So I want to make five-minute videos explaining each concept that's open access, uh, that is, like I said, going back to our the beginning of our conversation, using good data so that when people are poo-pooing things like DEIB, you can point them to a really good resource that almost acts as a peer-reviewed academic source, only in multimedia, five-minute format, explaining to them where the data is at when it comes to this. That's the goal. That's great. What are you excited about? I am excited uh, to produce this new format because the first season uh, was a much longer, more traditional talk show model format, and which was great. And I met a whole bunch of amazing leaders in DEIBs from different industries. I was very fortunate to get guests that were very, uh, very diverse from very diverse fields, but uh, quite predictably and unfortunately, everyone had the same uh, sort of systemic observations. It seemed like the whole, whole reason why I started the show was to uh, show the patterns that systemic issues are mm. plaguing every single industry that we know. So anyone who is not paying attention to that is, again, living under the rock. This becomes the... <laughs> Wisconsin, we're talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, glad, exactly. I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out it was a figurative rock because if people haven't been to Wisconsin, they may think, you know, the way I described it, that there was an actual rock. <laughs> Um, it's a lovely place if you've ever been place. there. Um, it, Great so, cheese. It's cold. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so we'll we'll definitely uh, get folks the information on how to to check out the program. Uh, also, you know, your book and 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 some of the research and and some of the models as well. But you know, so so you know, thinking of all the things that you do, uh, can you give our listeners one resource that you would recommend? Um, you know, for, for DEIB and sustainability or sustainability, what do you think people should be paying attention to right now? So I can't help but say this, that um, I am, uh, uh, my training is in media communication. That is my background in my master's and PhD in the field that I come from. And one of my favorite areas to do work and teach uh, is on media representations. I think I wouldn't want my uh, audience to go to one resource. I'd love to point them out to um, our streaming platforms and that we have, that we all seem to have, Netflix and Amazon Prime and whatever else, Hulu, that we have. Mm -hmm. And I encourage people to watch, engage critically with how many changes we can notice in mainstream media since 2020. Uh, in the way in which our shows are made, who's playing the lead roles and start being mindful about the narratives and stories that are about to change. I do think that our media is going in the right direction when it comes to streaming platforms, becoming more inclusive than it was 20, uh, maybe even like five years ago, mm -hmm. pre-George Floyd. So I think I would um, request and urge the audience to start engaging critically with what they're watching every day in their homes, in Netflix and Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever, Apple TV uh, that you're getting, and really start seeing the reasons why those stories are being told now 
more than they were ever before and how, why companies are investing on telling stories that were never told before. So I think that would be my message to everyone. I love that. Thank, thank you for sharing that with our, with our guests. Well, Dr. Fadia Nortvit, um, thank you so much for joining us on Inclusive Collective this week. It was a, it was a great visit. I hope you do come back. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you all. It was amazing. It, time flew by. <laughs> it did. Yeah. 20 minutes goes by really quickly. Most people don't say that. They say this was, this took, <laughs> this was really painful. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back for our calm reflections and raves and rants. Welcome back, everyone, to Inclusive Collective. We just finished chatting with Dr. Fadia Nordvik. Dr. Fadia, as her friends call her, as a, since we're now uh, friends with Dr. Fadia. Uh, Nadia, <laughs> good time. This Enjoyed good time. your show. Yeah. yeah, right? I, she's, she's really fun doing a lot of different things, which is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I'm definitely interested in checking out some of the models that she was talking about. And I think they fit really well with some of the stuff that I do as well. So very yeah. cool to have her on. I do hope she'll come back because I'll have more questions uh, about some of the things that she's doing. Totally. I love the intersectionality that she's focused on with diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and sustainability. I know. I, I got a little something. sidetracked. I was I was too into the sustainability stuff. Yeah, I think it's I think <laughs> it's really cool. You know, she's she's been focused on that work for a while and um I think her research is really, really interesting and she's you know, she also works really heavily with uh the youth movement, the global youth movements and um, and then I just love that she's really in tune with like the technology and communications and, and, mm. and really encourage, I love that last bit where she's encouraging us to be a little bit more critical of, um, who we see on, you know, some of these streaming platforms as, as lead roles or producers, even writers. Right. So it's, it's good work. Absolutely. All right, Nadia, let's round things out. Are you going to, are you going to rant first? I am going to rant first. So. Okay. Last week, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash drivers had their largest strike ever. Um, this was on Valentine's Day. Mm. Um, and you know what they're doing, Rob? They're really just like seeking your basic labor protections. Um, so these strikes took place in over 40 cities across the U.S. They, they gathered at airports protesting low wages, protesting lack of transparency and pay equity, and then um, concerns about abrupt account deactivations by the apps. So while um, some companies are required to uh, you know, abide by minimum wage laws and provide healthcare benefits for employees, gig workers like some of these folks lack this um, same safety net that must really rely on corporations voluntarily improving their working conditions. So, you know, again, just looking at um, these corporations to provide a uh, livable wage to people and maybe some benefits, um, maybe like have some compassion. Maybe they make a ton of money. So um, just, you know, just ranting about how we how some of these folks have to go out and protest instead of actually go make a, a living because some of their corporations don't provide them the support that they need. Absolutely. I 100% support that. I saw in the notes the Valentine's Day rant and I was like, oh, great. Me too. I mean, I'm on board. But, yeah. but uh, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, the part with Uber and Lyft, I, I'm definitely supportive <laughs> of their of their efforts. Um, all right, let's let's round out. Let's rave about and it, it kind of comes full circle. 
So I did want to rave about a letter to the Princeton community from the president, Christopher L. Eisgruber. I, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but uh, it was reprinted and excerpted in the Atlantic Monthly. It was titled, Elite Universities Have Not Sacrificed Excellence for Diversity, as we were talking about earlier. And so I, I don't know if you have a chance, but I recommend it. It was really thought-provoking uh, in that, you know, we've been talking a lot about higher education and DEI across the U.S. And there have been a lot of these viewpoints expressed that what's been happening, you know, with regard to social justice activism from students is just out of control, right? And I don't spend a lot of time on a college campus anymore, regrettably. Uh, I do. But yeah, that's true. You do. I do. Um, <laughs> but you hear, you know, in my circle, I, I hear people like, you know, Pivot host uh, Scott Galloway or even like mainstream voices like Fareed Zakaria saying the DEI is this problem, that, uh, you know, debate, which used to be so great on college campuses, has been cast aside. That we're seeing social engineering and you're like, I just kind of shrug my shoulders. And I'm like, oh, it must be pretty bad, right? Um, but then you think about how the same argument is brought up in companies around diversity hiring and how, you know, and, and it really is just a repackaging of that meritocracy myth that we were talking about earlier, right? Right. This false choice between diversity and excellence. You can have one or the other, but you can't have both. And so uh, Mr. Eisgruber mentions there's always been social engineering on campus, but it's usually been at the expense of those that are underrepresented. So- I thought okay. it was a great point and uh, really go well Princeton. written. Go well, go Princeton. Never thought I'd say President. go Princeton, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Never thought I'd say that. Very cool, Rob. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, and from what I understand, you have you have uh, an upcoming workshop this week. Yeah, this uh, this Wednesday. So coming up very quickly, uh, the February twenty first at twelve Eastern, nine Pacific. I'm doing LinkedIn Live with our friend Aparna Ray and her Data is Love show. It's an audio only event, so that's really the best way to enjoy me, as we all know. <laughs> uh, we'll be discussing the need to go back to basics and leverage and enforce regulations and laws intended to create diversity um, in a time when companies are pulling back on their DEI investment. Nadia, you're gonna you're gonna join us. I'm gonna you join. Tune in? Gonna tune in Wednesday, nine a.m. Pacific, twelve Eastern, um, and that's on Wednesday, February twenty-first. Correct? Yeah. And people can sign up on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, yeah, all on LinkedIn. Very cool. Well, um, we'll make sure that we'll share that um, link as well with folks. All right, it's gonna be fun. Awesome. Well, thanks for that, Rob. So uh, that's it this week for Inclusive Collective. Just a reminder that if you're looking for DEI and workplace culture strategy consulting, uh, problem solving, or training, you can reach out to me at Nadia at NASConsultants.com um, and Rob at Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media and edited by the one and only RMA. We would love to hear from you folks, so please send us your feedback at Collective at Refilion.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Be sure to uh, follow us on LinkedIn um, so you can subscribe to our Inclusive Collective newsletter. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate us if you like five stars um, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again to our guest, Dr. Fadia Nortvet. Uh, we'll be back next week. You will. Rob, did I ever tell you that I went to Disney and did like a tour underground? You did a tour underground? Was it like the yeah, DEI like stuff? With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. 
Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.